Welcome to the Make Learning Magical podcast. I am your host, Tisha Richmond. On this show, I chat with educators and thought leaders from around the world to hear stories of how they are transforming teaching and creating unforgettable learning experiences because we all have our own special magic. Welcome to the Make Learning Magical podcast. Today, I have an incredible guest on the show that I am so lucky to call one of my closest friends. Rochelle Denae Poth is a Spanish and STEM teacher at a junior-senior high school in Oakmont, Pennsylvania. She is also an attorney, instructional technology expert, international speaker, ISTE certified educator, blog writer, podcaster, and the author of four incredible books. She has earned multiple awards and is an active collaborator and expert with a number of communities, including Buncee, Edmodo, Nearpod, Pioneer, Microsoft, and Google. Honestly, I could go on and on about all of her expertise experience, expertise, and awesomeness. I have nicknamed her Wonder Woman because I truly wonder how in the world she does all that she does, and she is just a wonderful human being. Rochelle, I am so excited to have you on the show today. Welcome, my friend. Well, thank you, and thank you for such a nice introduction, and I I laugh. You make me smile with the Wonder Woman because that's truly was my hero growing up. Like I just love Wonder Woman. And so I don't know if I am actually Wonder Woman, but I do often wonder like how I'm ever <laughs> going to get anything done or, uh, you know, keep up with all the things. So thank you for having me on today. Oh my goodness. I, we've been trying to get together and have you on the show for quite some time and getting our schedules to match has been quite, quite a challenge, but no, you truly are. You even have the look and everything, Rochelle, you are the, you are a wonder woman for sure. And being a good friend with you, I truly see what you do and, and hear about all of the things on a daily basis that you're involved in. And I always am truly wondering like how in the world do you uh, accomplish so much and and you are such an incredible collaborator and supporter of so many educators out there. And so I'm so inspired by you. <laughs> Don't stop. Well, I'm inspired by you as well. And you, I mean, we all do so many different things and it's how we plan our days or just the, I don't know, little hacks that we have to accomplish things. And I, there's only one of me. I often wish, I mean, that we all wish that there was somebody else that could take care of some of the things that we have on our plates, but I like to keep busy. I like to keep learning and uh, I figure I can catch up on sleep at some point, take a nap here or there <laughs> but to fit things in. I just don't want to miss out on opportunities to help somebody else and to keep on learning. So that's kind of what keeps me going. Well, and I, it's obvious that it's a passion for you. And I, I think in my own life, we all do what we all are involved in the things that we're passionate about. And for you, this is an area that you love. And so I think that that's wonderful that you can just um, be able to to do so much with that. And I would love to hear what are some of your hacks? Like, what are you do <laughs> to... Uh, to maybe make the most of your time. I'm I'm super curious. I'm taking notes right now. Yeah, it's, I don't know. Over the years, I've just, I've always been kind of a multitasker and I didn't notice it too much until like, even when I first started teaching, I could, we all do this. We're grading papers and maybe the TV's on or we're listening to something. It could be a podcast or I don't know, a book, like an audio book or something. Just I've never been the person to just sit and watch TV or just sit and grade papers. There's always something else going on. And 
I think I noticed it even more when I went to law school because I was teaching full time. And I mean, I had been teaching, I think, five or six years at that time before I started law school. And so I was teaching full time. And then I was going to law school four nights a week after school. And so there wasn't any time in between to really keep up with things. And I had to figure out, okay, how am I going to study and do my own work for my classes, but then also grade all the projects or create all the different activities in my quote spare time, I quote, if I even want to quote that. And I, I started to learn and they would make fun of me kind of in law school because I would be taking notes in a notebook. And then I'd also be typing the notes on the computer. Then I'd also be grading papers or sending a message to somebody and still could answer a question. But I think just in that training of knowing that I, I only had so many hours in a day and wow. I couldn't let my, my job, my real work as being a teacher kind of be sacrificed because I was going to law school. So I had to figure out to, a way to make it all work. I did have to kind of give up on some things like going to the gym <laughs> for a long time because there just wasn't anywhere for it to fit. Uh, so my hacks are just doing multiple things at the same time. So for example, even though I'm engaging in self-care, if I go for a walk, I'm often reading emails or you know, typing an email to somebody, or if I want to write a blog, I'm talking into my phone and using that capability to get all of my words down into a document. So I don't actually have to sit down and handwrite or physically type it out. And then of course, when I get back home and I open up the document and it didn't totally catch all the words I said with accuracy, having to think Uh like, what did I say that sounded like this? But there have been times where I've gone for a walk in my neighborhood when I actually had more time uh, and it would be like an hour walk. And I would just think about ideas that I came up with or reflect on things from the day. Or if I was writing, when I was writing books, just talk things out and I would come back and sit down and I would look and it was like 2,000, 3,000 words. And wow. sometimes that was even doing emails. If I knew that there were parents or teachers or whoever I had to send emails to, I might do the same thing and just talk it out, let it go into the document and then get home, fix it, copy, paste it. And so that totally cuts out the amount of time we're actually sitting and trying to think through and write it. So those are just a couple of the the hacks, time hacks, I guess. That is actually a really, really great idea. And, you know, I don't think about using that like audio to text feature. I have used the audio just um, app on my iPhone. You know, I, is it called audio? I don't even know what it's called. It's that I note. I don't know what it is, but yeah. I've, <laughs> I've used that before. And for the exact same reason, because when you finally get to walk or just let your mind kind of wander and reflect that often for me is when all my ideas come And so, and sometimes for me, that's when I'm running because I I like to walk too, but I also like to run and it's harder to like try to email or, you know, do anything texting wise when you're running. And so I've done that and it, it really has been helpful for me to capture some of those things because I often will have an idea and I'm like, oh, I'll think about, I'll, I'll write that down later. I never remember. Like there's a million more thoughts that enter my mind before I would actually have a time, you know, time to write it down. And so I think that that's a really great, um, great tip for how you can capture some of those ideas and thoughts and and kind of multitask while you're doing other things. Yeah, it definitely makes a difference. And, uh, Last July, Jen and I were in Boston to 
collaborated on that book, Education Right Now. And I remember we went to dinner and Danny Steele was one of the authors that was there to write. And we were sitting at dinner and he said, like, do you ever get stressed out? You, know, you do so much. Do you ever feel like you're stressed out or anything? And and I said, well, yeah. And he said, well, what do you do? And I said, well, I'll go for a walk or I'll just get up and walk away or I'll listen to music or something. And he said, but how do you like get all of the things done? And I said, well, honestly, my biggest time saver is, and I told him about the voice to text and mm-hmm. he just looked at me and he said, I think you've just changed my life because of that. <laughs> and I said, it truly, it truly does make a difference. And I've even done a reverse of that where there have been times that I've done you know, my own little podcast where I'm talking to myself about a topic. And even if you like play the podcast, then hold your phone up and use that same feature. If it's something that you've never written about, but you don't want to take the time to actually type it out using it in the reverse. So then let it, let your podcast that's talking record into the document and then just fix it up. And then you can do like the reverse of the original. So that's brilliant. (laughs) That is brilliant. Oh my gosh. I am definitely going to take some of those, those hacks from you and try to do that in my own life because um, it's amazing just how much time can be wasted, you know, just um, by not utilizing some of those strategies for best, you know, utilizing your time. So thank you so much for sharing that. And as you were talking about kind of how you started beginning your multitasking back when you were in law school, I think that that's fascinating because I think what an amazing journey going from a law student and having this direction of becoming an attorney to becoming this incredible educator I would love for you to share a little bit about just your story and how how your path has brought you to this place that you are at now. Uh, it's an interesting path because, it, I mean, if I go back to high school, well, actually, if I go back to when I was a kid, I always loved to play school, but I would I never would have said, oh, I want to be a teacher when I grow up. I just liked school. I liked the activities and I'm an only child. So when I was a kid, like I would come home from school, my grandmother was there waiting for me. And if my cousins weren't home that actually lived very close to me, I would just play school. And sometimes my grandma was a student and she, I I remember she would say, do you want to be a teacher? And I'm like, no, (laughs) just like playing school. (laughs) And I think part of it too, is because my parents worked in an office and they had like really cool office supplies, like that they would work with when they did work at home. And so I always felt very official, (laughs) like that I was, I had all of the staplers and everything. So then in high school, I started to take French. And again, like, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I knew that I had to go to college because that wasn't like that was an option for me. I mean, growing up, it was like, you go to school, you go to college. Um, so took French and then went to college and had no idea still what I wanted to do. And then my junior year, finally, they said, what are you going to major in? And I'm like, well, what am I even good at? Because I didn't know. And the French was definitely a strong point for me. And so it was suggested that I would go into education So I got the teaching degree and then I tried to get a job teaching and I couldn't, there weren't available. I mean, there wasn't a lot of availability for a French teacher. There were positions that were open, but they were looking for like a dual certification. And so many times that I went for interviews, they would say, well, you should go back and get another degree, like teaching history or some other, or English or something. And I didn't really have an interest in teaching either one of those. So I did substitute for three years and got my 
I ended up getting my certification to teach Spanish because that seemed like a more natural kind of thing to pair with a, with the French. And during that time, I was taking courses at a local university and also at University of Pittsburgh and taking courses to become a translator in both Spanish and French. And in that, you had to do medical translation, business translation, legal translation. I learned so much vocab for things that I don't even necessarily know what they mean in English. But I had a teacher who was an attorney. And I just started to see that connection between the languages and legal terms. And I I was a big fan of John Grisham novels (laughs) back in the day. And I just started to think about law, but not necessarily as an attorney, just doing something with it. And um, thought about being paralegal, but not really quitting teaching or anything uh, at the time. But I did have in my mind like a 10-year plan for teaching because at the time I didn't think that I was totally in love with it. I just kind of felt, and I always feel bad saying this, I felt like I just kind of fell into it in a sense. It wasn't, it never really felt like a decision that I made. It just seemed like it ended up being something that other people thought might be good for me or was kind of the direction I was headed because I like to help people. I like to learn and all of that just seemed like a natural progression, I guess. And so then I ended up applying to law school. I didn't even tell anybody because at the time I thought, I just want to know what, I don't even know what these scores mean in terms of law school admission, if I'm, I'm even a possibility to get accepted. And in Pittsburgh, there's only two, there's Pitt and there's Duquesne, but Pitt is full-time day. And so that wasn't an option either because I wouldn't quit teaching. And so I applied to Duquesne, was accepted for the evening program. And I thought, oh, great. Now I got a decision to make. Am I going to go to school and teach five days and then go to school right after that four nights a week for four years? And so I thought, you know what? I have to because I took the chance to find out if I could get accepted. And so I did it. So then this is like a long story. But uh, and in law school, and, I, and I've said this too, I don't think that I would still. And I could almost say, like, I know I would not still be teaching had it not been for my law school experience, the way that it changed me as a person, the way that it helped me to re-engage in my job as a teacher, the connections that I made, the way that I see relationships, it pulled me out of isolation as a teacher. And so that totally changed my path from that point on. And so I always go back to that and just think like, what a difference that made because I took that chance. And people will say, well, don't you miss out on not actually practicing law? And I, I keep up with everything. Like I still take the classes, just like we do as educators. But I say no, because of all of the other benefits that came out of that experience, it's helped me to kind of get to where I am today. And I still got a long way to go, but it's, uh, it's interesting. A lot of people think that I was an attorney and that I quit to go and become a teacher. And then they, when I say it was the reverse, they're like, why would you do that? <laughs> like, I don't know. But it's, it's not altogether uncommon because Carrie Gallagher is also an attorney and an educator. And uh, I've, I've known a lot of others who did go the other way. They were attorneys and then became teachers. But it, it gave me a greater work ethic, um, better able to understand students and what it's like to struggle with learning and to feel uncomfortable when you don't know the answer. So a really good experience. I think that's fascinating. And I think that that's so true in just our life journeys and how these, these different parts that, you know, we don't realize at the time how they're going to benefit us later, you know, and how all of our life experiences kind of just come together to make us who we are. And I, I love that story. And I love to, I it really resonated with me when you were talking about how, when you were in college, you kind of 
I felt like you were kind of at that same crossroads I was at as, you know, halfway through my college experience where I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I started out as a business major just because I thought, well, that's broad. Like that'll cover a lot of stuff. And then that I didn't enjoy it. And then I thought I was going to be a, a, a dietitian and then that didn't fit. And I, I just didn't, I just had a really hard time figuring out where I wanted to go with my life and what I wanted to do. And and so I, I didn't really realize that we were kind of that the same in that, that we yeah. really didn't know, you know, until midway through our, our college experience. And uh, I love just how your journey has brought you to this place you are at now and um, and how all of that experience with your law background has, has kind of come into play. Um, super, super fascinating. And... And I actually would love, that's one of the areas that I wish that I, that I'd like to learn is just languages. And I never was great. I took German in high school and I took Spanish in college, but I never really got good at either one of those languages. But I think, wow, what a, what an amazing skill to have is to be able to speak another language. And I've heard that when you really learn one language well, it's easy to learn easier to pick up other languages too. Did you find that to be true with French and Spanish? Yeah, it was uh, because a lot of people were afraid to take French in high school. A lot of the students say, well, it's it's difficult. I heard that Spanish is way easier. And the only thing that's easier about Spanish is the pronunciation because you pretty much say the words like they are. Either way, it's difficult to learn a different language. And I, I was interested at one point in learning German, but the, I think the way that my brain works I, I can't understand, like I will look at languages and like French or Spanish or Italian, I can figure out the structure. But when I look at other languages like German or something, like I just can't see the patterns or the structure of them. And I always tell my students, because some of them will say, oh, well, I'm going to take French next year because whatever their reason is, or students will be in French and they'll come and tell me, well, I'm going to take Spanish next year because it's easier than French. And I said, in the pronunciation it is, but you still have to learn all of the parts of it. And you have to really apply yourself to it because for us and for the students, I'll say your whole entire day is spent surrounding yourself with English. I said, your text messaging, if if you're at practice, the music, the TVs, your conversations, every other class is all English. And you only have this 42 minute period of Spanish. And they'll say, well, why do we have to know what a direct object is? And I said, because that's part of your learning the basics of the language. And if you want to develop those skills, you have to. I said, you've had your whole life up to this this point where you've learned everything in English. I said, and you're still not proficient in the language. I said, I'm still not proficient in the language and I'm way older than you. It's just something that you have to invest a lot of time in, but there are so many benefits to it. And I'm surprised even on a daily basis when I'll be teaching something and I'll see the word and I'll, I'll think, wow, like if you think of a word in English and you see the connection, like the root of the word or something, or I'll come up with a way to kind of help them remember with mnemonics or something to help them build the language skills. And I'm always amazed at just how much it even helps with English, like understanding words that we come across in our own language. So it's definitely a benefit. And it's my students will say, well, I'm not going to major in Spanish and I'm not going to need this in the future. And I said, well, first of all, I wasn't even taking Spanish in high school, nor did I think I would be a teacher. And I'm a Spanish teacher. So you never know. 
And with so many lines of work, I mean, having language skills is definitely beneficial. And I've even had students come in after a weekend or after a break and say, hey, I got to speak Spanish this weekend. And I'm like, where were you? And they were just in their community. You know, they ran into somebody who was a native Spanish speaker, or maybe they went into downtown Pittsburgh and overheard a conversation. They could actually understand it. Uh, One student even said one time that she was in a store somewhere and there was a native Spanish speaker who was trying to ask for something. And there was that language barrier between her and the person working at the store. And the student was able, even with, you know, they were only in Spanish too at the time, but they were able to facilitate enough of the conversation to kind of help them. And I was like, that's why you need to learn a language because you can help people and you never know when it's going to come in handy. So what a difference it made for those people to be able to kind of figure out like, this is what this person needs and this is how I can help this person. So languages, they're fun to learn. Uh, It can be stressful, like with all things, but it was something that came way easier to me. And in college, I think that's why, I mean, I, I think at one point I wanted to be an optometrist and I don't even think that was because I was interested in it. I think my mom might have said, Hey, you know, (laughs) They need some optometrists. I went, oh, okay. And then I took physics in high school and I got C's and D's. And I thought, well, that's probably not the best idea. And then with business (laughs) spreadsheets and things, I'm like, yep, that's, that's not a good idea for me either. But I've often joked if I, if I could go back to school, I would probably study medicine. I would want to do something in the medical field. And again, the benefits with a language that clearly ties into it. So I try and emphasize with students, you know, maybe you want to be a physical therapist, or if you want to be a veterinarian, or you want to be a doctor, and I'll I'll keep naming a lot of different professions. I said, these skills will come in handy. So you might as well avoid using translators or taking those shortcuts now and really build the skills and make your own mistakes and learn from them. So it's a lot of fun. Yeah, no, it's amazing. And yeah, just, I mean, just think about communication in general and how just learning a language just helps you be a better communicator and to have empathy for just um, people from around the world and having just a different global perspective too, I think comes with with learning a language. And in so many ways, I mean, that's just definitely something that I wish that that I was able to do. And I think about as you were talking, I was thinking about your connection on social media because um, that is, I, it's funny because I'm like trying to think back, like when was that first moment that I met Rochelle online? And I don't know when that was because I feel like I've known you my whole life. We've known each other for a long time, but you are such an amazing collaborator and communicator in that space. And I, I love that you are always shouting people out. You're always um, offering encouragement. You are in like, I feel like every single Twitter chat that is out there on social media, you're a part of, you're a part of so many different communities. And, um, and I think that's such a, an important part of being part of a professional learning network and being connected on social media is, is being part of those conversations and contributing and sharing and, and also encouraging. And so uh, I'd love to hear kind of your story about how did you get connected on social media? Like, what was the catalyst for you? It's, it's really funny. I mean, for years, I was keeping myself isolated in my classroom. And I, I, I wouldn't have known what a PLN was. I talked to people in my school and if I would go to a local language conference, I mean, I had some friends there that you would see, but that was only like a once a year thing. And then in, 
goodness, 2014, I think it was. I mean, I had been using technology in my classroom. I was not into social media. I didn't, I didn't see the need to have Facebook. I thought Twitter was only for, I don't know, celebrities and politics or whatever. And I just, I didn't get it. And I had to plan a high school reunion. And this goes back years. And people were like, well, why don't you have a Facebook? And I said, people don't need to know what I'm eating or where I'm going, because that was all that I would see when I saw Facebook. And they said, well, how are you going to find 600 classmates? And I said, I'm just going to look in the phone book. And people laughed at me because they're like, you still have a phone book? How are you going to find people in a phone book? And so anyway, um, I got the Facebook account and started to make those connections with people. And it didn't take too much time until I started to like reconnect with people I hadn't seen in years or talked to. And that was like friends from grade school, um, high school, family members. So that was the first stepping point. And then back in 2014, my principal had uh, nominated me for this award or well, actually recognition in Pennsylvania for Keystone Technology Innovators. And so principals can nominate somebody in their school who is using technology in their classroom. And, you know, there was this process. So he nominated me and then I was accepted. Then you could apply to go to this one week kind of summit. And so when I went to that in 2014, I wasn't using Twitter. I had a Twitter account because somebody had sent me a message and the only way that I could view it was to create a Twitter account. So I had one. And then at that time, they they said, well, you should tweet out what you're learning. And I had the old account. And so then I created a new account. And when I started with that, I'm like, I totally don't know what I'm doing <laughs> with Twitter. I don't get it. And I started to get into chats. And one of the first chats, actually, I think the first chat that I got into was called Wiley Ed Chat at the time. And it had some people from, amazingly, Tennessee, which I didn't know. And one of the questions was, hey, Rochelle, what part of Tennessee are you from? I'm like, I'm in Pittsburgh. I'm not in Tennessee. I just happened to find this chat. And so that was kind of the entry point. And then it started to increase in 2015 when ISTE was held in Philadelphia. And I remember the big kind of change for me was I read Teach Like a Pirate. And I was riding the train to Philadelphia to go to my first ISTE. And during that time, so I'm on the train, I got my book, Reading Tea Lab, and they had the, I think it was Sat Chat, I think it was Sat Chat West Coast or whatever it was at the time. And it was, you know, I forget, 11 a.m. for my time, 8 a.m. maybe for West Coast. And I was just amazed at technology. And I just started to get some new followers and people were getting excited for the conference. And I was making, I was like, oh, somebody's following me. I started to get excited. Like, I still have no idea what I'm doing. And then from that point on, over the past five years, I just started to kind of continue to use it. And I could see the value in it. And I even wrote a series of blog posts about how I was so wrong about Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn and Snapchat and Voxer and all of these, because I think, how many people that I've met, you, of course, through those spaces and what a difference it has made in my life, pulling me out of isolation, getting me to re-engage in teaching, to make connections, to build relationships and have my students do more and learn from them. And so ever since then, it's just been something that I've really recommended that people do. And not that you have to do all of the things because it is overwhelming when you have all those notifications popping up, but to be able to, especially now reach out and ask a question on Twitter or in a community on Facebook or use Voxer to actually hear somebody and have a conversation from all around the world. What a difference it has made in my life. And like you, one of my best friends who you live the whole way across the country, but 
it's just, I, I don't know what I would do without you and the rest of our group and the other educators that I've met from those spaces. So. Yeah, I feel so much the same. And it's interesting that we both got connected on Twitter the same year. I didn't realize that. Mm-hmm. It was 2014 that I I had gone to my first conference, iPad Palooza, that was ed tech related. Up until that point, it was always culinary workshops. You know, I was in baking, bread baking workshops. And then all of a sudden I go to iPad Palooza and I'm like, what? Like, this is crazy. And everybody was on Twitter. Yeah. And I thought, what? why are all of these facilitators like sharing out their Twitter handles? And I, I had the same kind of idea that social media was just to like share out what you're eating. And it just didn't seem like it was super purposeful. And then I, I started getting connected and it was like the skies opened for me. And I think much like you and being involved in that first Wiley Ed chat for me, it was starting to get, connected in those ed chats. It was XPLAP for me that really started helping me build that professional learning network because you join in those Twitter chats each week and the same people are popping up and you start conversations and maybe those conversations lead to other conversations and you start to make those connections. And that's where my Twitter moved from just being this place where I lurked and grabbed ideas to being a space that I actually started contributing and felt like I had something to share too. And um, it's super powerful. And I think about, you know, for both of us, how many opportunities have come our way just by being connected with people from around the world. It's pretty phenomenal. And that really 2014 wasn't all that long ago, really. (laughs) Although right now it feels like 50 years ago after after this year. But yeah, it's it, it's not something that you can do overnight and it does take time and, and it is an investment. And now, especially with so many things going on, taking up our time and the screen fatigue and everything, uh, it's hard. And I haven't been in as many chats lately just because I've fallen behind on some other things because yeah. the time that it's taking to do the teaching online and everything. And I miss that, but I do at least try to pop in. There are certain ones that I, I definitely try to pop in. If not, while it's happening, then go back and read through it because you can get so many ideas or make new connections uh, or answer questions for somebody who's just like, I don't know what to do. I'm looking for an idea. And for me years ago, gosh, I wish I would have had Twitter so long ago when I was truly struggling and keeping to myself, what a difference that would have made. But we live and learn. And so now I know better. So as Maya Angelou says, I do better. Yeah, absolutely. I know. So true. And I think one of the things that I am amazed by you is that you are teaching still full time and still doing all of these other things. And I would love just to hear what it looks like for you right now, because you prior to COVID, you uh, were doing incredible things in your classroom. You had this amazing blended learning environment and then COVID hits and things pivot and you're, you know, teaching from home in a virtual space um, and had to pivot. And now I'm sure you've had to pivot again. And so I'd love to hear a little bit about what your current reality is uh, in your, in your school and in your classroom, and some of the things that you've done to transition in this world where, I mean, teaching and learning is pivoting all the time. <laughs> yeah, it's it's difficult. Even 
back in March when schools closed, people were, would say, oh, it's probably so easy for you because you've been doing things, you've been doing things like, uh, you know, blended learning or using technology in your classroom. And I said, no, I said, it, it's a struggle because I was trying to think about how I could do all the same things in that virtual space. And I didn't even know where to begin with, even with all the tools. Plus at that time, I mean, we weren't using a consistent system. We had Microsoft, but we weren't all using Microsoft Teams. And I had messaging tools that I was using with my students. And of course, like many schools, not all students had devices or reliable connections when they got home. And so trying to figure out, okay, what matters most? Now, it was a great opportunity for myself and I I know other educators to kind of take some risks and try things they had never tried. And just people really embracing like, okay, we're in the situation uh, it's not the greatest experience ever, but this is maybe the point. Like I called it the biggest, loudest, worst wake up call that you never wanted <laughs> to try new things <laughs> and to get out of your comfort zone. But it was, it was difficult. And it took for a couple of weeks back then to kind of set things up. And for my classes, I had zoom meetings twice a week, but they weren't mandatory because not everybody could join. And I didn't know at the time I was just thinking, the students are at home and so they can join in. If they're home, they can log into the class. It'd be great to see them. But I wasn't mindful of their circumstances because some of them were caring for siblings. They were having to go to work because they're essential workers. And it really puts a lot into perspective for you. And so then the start of this year, we were going to start hybrid. And then that changed to fully virtual for the first nine weeks. And I found myself trying to do the same kind of things that I would typically do at the start of the school year this school year. And I'm like, okay, I can't do that. And then now in the last couple of weeks, we've been hybrid. And that has been another kind of challenge too. When we first started virtual, trying to balance, you know, two devices, teaching from home, what materials can I use? I don't want the students looking at the screen the whole time, but not all of them had the same books because I couldn't get all of the books in. So I'm like, what do you do? Uh, being mindful that like they're going to be sitting there for seven hours or so looking at the screen and assessments. I mean, I had all of these questions, like how am I supposed to give them an assessment? And with teaching languages, the biggest battles that I do are with like online translators. And there are websites out there that have all of the answers for all the textbooks and workbooks that are being used and they're taking shortcuts. And when I'm in the class, I mean, those are things that exist, even if I'm in the classroom, but at least if I'm in the classroom, I can help them. I can see what they're doing. I can catch them if they're trying to look at a translator. And I'm like, what are you doing? Um, so it really pushed me to rethink what I'm, I'm trying to do in my classroom. And so with the hybrid, you know, it has been a challenge now to transition to that because some of my students are in the class, which it's great to see them. But then, of course, there are the students at home and trying to figure out how I can keep them all engaged and be able to interact with each other. And so using some things like, I mean, just to name some tools like Nearpod, for example, where I can control it. I can still talk with them. They can put things on the board. They can interact with different activities in it. I could take them on virtual field trips, which is great. Like we're stuck at home or we're in our classroom and, hey, let's go to Spain. Uh, for assessments using different tools like, say, Formative or even Flipgrid where they can just talk. But I've even tried, uh, for me, trying to save my voice some, which when you're speaking through a mask and you're trying to talk to the kids in the classroom and the kids at home, saving the repetition, like, for example, Spanish 1, teaching them the alphabet. So normally when we're in school, I would 
say the word or say the letter, they would say it after me, or I would spell words for them in Spanish and have them write it down. But in this virtual, if I'm saying them, the audio quality, if it breaks up, you know, they're missing out on that. So Mm -hmm. I've been trying to record using synth me spelling words or me doing audio, like listening comprehension activities so that in a sense, they can actually get away from looking at the screen because they can just listen to me and they can write it down on paper. What I'm saying, uh, if they have to, you know, I read it in Spanish, I want them to write it down in Spanish or for speaking assessments, they can use Flipgrid and record it on their phone and they don't actually have to, I mean, they can have the camera on, but some of them just, they don't, they're on the camera all day. They don't want, I just want to hear their voice. And so trying to find some tools that if I can get them away from the screen, but also balancing all of the places where I have to check to see like, did they see the assignment? Did they post a response? Um, so it's, it's interesting. It is exhausting without a doubt. I mean, teaching itself is always exhausting. It's even more so now because depending on how we're teaching fully remote, it was in a sense easier, even though it wasn't easy, just because everybody was in that same space. Hybrid is more difficult because you're trying to see who's coming into the meeting. Are they actually there? <laughs> Did they disappear? And then attend to the kids in the classroom. But I mean, there are, there are good things and bad things about both of them. And the thing that I take away from it is that it's just challenging us to really explore new ideas and strategies and tools. And it's not always about the tech. I mean, if we're on the computer all the time, okay, what can we have our students do that's not using the computer? And if we're in the classroom, we can't pass around, like for me, like augmented virtual reality, I can't have them use the headsets. I can't pass around the merge cubes right now. So what can I do? I don't know. Yesterday, I pulled up the merge cube on the smart board and I shared it with the screen and I told the, the kids at home, okay, you don't actually have the merge cube. You don't have to print it out. So put an app on your phone and hold it up. And like, you can actually see by doing that. And so that was kind of fun. And, and I knew that I kind of thought that you could. I wasn't entirely sure it would work because you never know. Technology often fails, but it at least gave the kids a chance to try something different. So it's it's a, a work in progress as always, trying to come up with different ideas. But what has been helpful too is the Twitter chats that are focused on like getting through hybrid learning or new ideas to get away from screen time. And even in Facebook communities, uh, there's one that has, I think, 40,000 members and it's I think it's We Are Teachers Helpline or something. And and there's it's not all about the good, like, oh, it's going great. Everything's wonderful. It's I'm struggling. This is what I'm I'm experiencing. Can anybody help me? Or, you know, I broke down in tears today because I don't feel like I'm reaching out with my students. And it's just a space where people can just have real talk and, mm-hmm. you know, share the good and the bad and support each other. And again, going back to the I was so wrong about social media. What a time to make sure that you have some space to connect if you aren't in school and you can't just walk across the hall and talk to somebody or you can't see your students right in front of you. I mean, having something where you can see and hear each other and make those connections is so important. And that was a really long answer. So sorry. No, so many things that I want to talk about that you said that are are super powerful. And I think about, you know, districts right now, um, who are fully virtual and maybe haven't gone to that hybrid model yet. Uh, You know, we, I think back to March when this all started, I mean, at that point, we're like, surely we'll be back to normal in September, you know, and here we are at the, in the middle of November without really an, at least in our area and end to site, we have more, you know, cases right now in Oregon than ever. And, um, 
and and I think that it's it's hard because teachers aren't necessarily seeing an end to this. And so it's like, how long is this going to go? And then in what ways are we going to have to pivot? Because at some point, you know, we plan on going to a hybrid situation. So I guess my question is, what are some things that, you know, for those districts who maybe are fully virtual right now, but are planning to go hybrid in the future? What are some things like you've learned either the hard way or things that you that you could see maybe making things more effective um, as st- school districts are planning uh, in this in, in a hybrid learning environment? Well, one thing that I've said kind of consistently, well, there's a couple things I've said consistently, but one that <laughs> speaks to what you just asked me is finding methods or tools or something that are like they work anywhere that you can, mm-hmm. if you find out just like in March where, I mean, some schools in March, I know locally, it was, I think on a Thursday night, Thursday, March 12th, I, I went with a few friends who have kids in the, one of the local school districts. And I said, and I knew at the time, like we were told my school, have the kids take home all of their things to prepare to be out for two weeks, you know, give them some hands-on packets, materials, something to do to work on for two weeks, because that was the plan. And we went out that Thursday night and I said, yeah, you know, did you hear, have you heard anything about schools closing? And they were like, oh no, everything's fine. And I said, I would prepare that tomorrow you're going to find out that schools here are going to be closed for two weeks. They're like, no, no way. Sure enough, Friday after the kids had gotten home from school. So late in the day, they found out that for two weeks they were closed. And so there wasn't any time for preparation Mm -hmm. and you know, then you weren't going back to school, which was even like, wait, what do you mean? But for, for some of us, it was like, okay, two more weeks. And then you kind of got the idea, like, we're not returning this school year. And so what do you do with what you have? Because some of the kids didn't take home their books, like they were told to do. They were like, Miss Bella, I don't have my textbook or workbook. And so I'm like, all right, what do I do with this? You know, which taught me, mm-hmm. I can't be so reliant on books and those hands-on materials. I have to kind of go beyond that. And then, of course, some students didn't have reliable devices. So what do you do? And thinking about this year, and one of the thing that was kind of consistent is I said, find things that, that enable you to transition. So if you do find out, hey, you know what? We're not coming back to school, then have something in place. So things like project-based learning, Genius Hour, um, using HyperDocs, Choice Boards, those things where like the students and you are kind of used to it. Or you know about it so that if you find out, you know what, we're not going to be in school for two weeks and kids don't have their books, which of course we need some books to have some materials, but then you have something that is open where you say, okay, we're going to do project-based learning. Everybody's going to choose their own thing to to focus on and study. Then you have a space where you can share it. I mean, the learning possibilities for that, in my experience, have been amazing. Um, Choice sports, hyperdocs, those work regardless of if you're in your classroom, hybrid, Mm -hmm. fully remote. When I first used those, it was because I think I was out for, uh, I think maybe three days for a conference or something. And I didn't want to give my students because we didn't, we don't have a Spanish speaking substitute. And so I have five different courses I teach. And so if I was going to give them all papers or things to write and all of that, like just the amount of paperwork and having them all do the same thing all at the same time, I decided to just give the choice boards and hyper docs a try. And most of the students love them. I mean, I didn't expect that they all would. And the students that actually weren't huge fans of it was because they were so used to having to do the same thing and not being able to control the pace that they were doing things like 
for some of them, they wanted to know, I need to do this today. I need to do this the next day. And that's something that I ended up working out with them. They said, can you please tell me like where I should kind of work each day? Absolutely. But that worked whether we were in our physical classroom or remotely. And then even just some of the different tools that are out there, like I mentioned, you know, Nearpod, Buncee was a huge lifesaver in the, I mean, I've loved it for five, six, I don't even know how long at this point, but in the spring within, within my own school district, we don't have a tech coach and moving to fully virtual, a lot of the elementary teachers were looking for some ideas. And I said, Buncee, because what I was hearing from them, usually something like a tool pops in my mind right away. And I was hearing them say, I want my students to be able to see me, to hear me. I want to be able to share resources with them. I want to make something fun, creative. I don't want to overwhelm them or their parents. And I said, you need Buncee. And so those teachers created lessons in math and they recorded themselves with, you know, stuffed animals or characters, whatever they used in their classroom. So the kids were able to see and hear them. And then the kids could actually create their own to share back. And it wasn't something that took a long time to start to use. It already had lessons and things available that they could use and choose from. And so that made a difference. And of course, I mean, any environment you can use those like Nearpod, Pear Deck, of course, is another one. I mean, there are so many, but you don't have to use all the things. Just find one or two that really enable you to do all the things that you would want to do. Wow, you just gave us so many different like tools to explore. You've mentioned Nearpod and Pear Deck and Buncee and GoFormative and Synth and so many. And I think you're so right. It's like, we don't want to be overwhelmed by all of the choices, but maybe just explore and find the one that is going to um, work best with your content area and allow you to get, you know, your students creating and collaborating and communicating. Like what, what is that thing that's going to work best for you and, and start from there. And I love that you talk about finding things that students can do, no matter if it's hybrid or, or brick and mortar or virtual, because I think that that's the reality right now. I mean, we might be virtual now, we might go to hybrid, but there's a very good chance if there's an outbreak, we might go back to fully virtual again. So how can we, how can we find things uh, for teaching and learning that are going to easily pivot back and forth and, and no matter what atmosphere we're we're learning and that it's going that it's going to work. And I love that you brought up the choice boards and hyperdocs too, because uh, we in the spring did choice boards in our district, and that was a really effective use of. Um, and it just worked really well in that in that time. And I um, think it still does as we are moving into as we moved into this year. And so, for those listeners who maybe not quite sure what a choice board is or hyperdocs are. Um, maybe share how you, like, what does a choice board look like that you've used? Like how many choices do you, are you talking about when you create a choice board? I, I laugh because when I first did the choice board, I don't even know where I heard about the choice board. It might've been on Twitter. It might've been at a conference. And I think I was kind of scrambling at the last minute to come up with something different for one of my Spanish classes. So I grabbed a piece of notebook paper and I drew <laughs> the grid, the nine squares, and I hand wrote different ideas at each one of them, different activities for them to do. Made copies and they came in and I handed it to them. They were like, are we playing tic-tac-toe? And I said, no, you're not playing tic-tac-toe. <laughs> like, what is this? Did you write this? And yes, I wrote it. 
So a choice board is, I mean, it looks, it does look like it's a grid, like three by three. It looks like a tic-tac-toe board and it has different choices in it. And, uh, it gives kids an opportunity to choose how to kind of practice the content that they're learning. It ties into, and I, I taught my students, like, I don't always just say, Hey, we're doing a choice board. I tell them what it is and why the choices are different because some of them said, wait, so in this one, I can actually draw a scene and describe it in Spanish or in this other one, I have to make a Nearpod lesson. Like, how is that, you know, why is that fair? They would say. And I said, well, you have the choice. I said, but the difference is it ties into, and I explained Webb's depth of knowledge. I even had a graph on my, and description on my board. So they would understand like those lower kind of lower level, like drawing a picture or something compared to doing something where you're really applying and, and adding a lot to it. The difference I said, so you can start with making a word, word scramble or a word search and practicing, and then you can kind of build up to it. So for anybody, you can Google it and you can find templates available. I did end up getting rid of my handwritten one and putting the links in. So for my students, sometimes I had, if they wanted to record a Flipgrid response, uh, create a Padlet and start a discussion and do a scavenger hunt sometimes, definitely creating a near pub because some of my students are older, so they can create their own accounts and make an interactive lesson, which of course, then I can use that with other classes and other years. Some of them did a Buncee, which I didn't never even thought about this, but they did it to teach verbs and actually review verbs. And they put in a YouTube video and they had questions and they took over the class and taught it. And I thought, okay, that's awesome because I never thought about that as a possibility. And then HyperDocs, Again, not anything I had any expertise in, but I did get the HyperDocs Handbook book. But if you go to the website, that's the nice thing is you don't have to create your own like I did with Handwriting My Choice Board. You can find so many examples out there. I think there's even a Padlet that has hundreds of HyperDocs on it. But essentially, it's taking like a Google document and putting in links because you're hyperlinking it into the document and then there's different phases of it so you kind of engage students then you give them a chance to kind of explore and apply what they're learning but they work at their own pace and my like I said when my students did it the first time they were in the classroom working in the library because they didn't all have devices and some of them just really liked being able to go through and work on whatever they wanted and then there's even opportunities for them to kind of extend that and it's funny when I, now that I'm talking with you, one of the choices I gave them was, hey, why don't you go and create a sketch note <laughs> about these verbs? And uh, some of the students actually did that, which was really cool to see what they came up with. So for anybody that's looking for examples, I mean, that is one that worked great. And I hadn't used them in probably about a year. And then back in the spring, I went back to the choice boards because coming up with activities that that all students could do because they had the book or the workbook or whatever. I just wanted them to have more choice in what they were doing. Also to get away from, you know, the translators or the online answer keys and things like that. And just to have some fun with learning. Um, yeah. So I recommend that for sure. And then I go back to the hyperdocs too. And again, some students said, I really don't like doing this. They appreciate the fact that they could kind of work at their own pace but they also said that it was hard to know how much to do because we weren't actually together. We weren't having our day to day meetings. So, uh, but I recommend like things like that where you can do them regardless of where you are. And if you start them in class and you find out that you're going to fully remote learning, it's still there. And as long as students have access to the devices and to be able to connect then they can do that. So yeah, lots of fun to explore. 
Oh my goodness. Absolutely. And I think about right now, I know so many teachers are just struggling with getting kids engaged, you know, and many teachers I talk to are like, I'm just staring at a, at a grid of black screens. Cause you know, teachers are, or students aren't wanting to show their faces or whatever it is, but the engagement piece is really difficult. And so I think what better way to engage than to give students choice and opportunities to demonstrate learning in ways that are meaningful to them and to be able to create and, and all of those things. And I think both of those, both the choice boards and hyperdocs are wonderful, wonderful ways, um, wonderful ways to do that. So, oh my gosh, Rochelle, we need to have, as you were talking, I'm like, I need to have a, a Rochelle series where like, I could just dive into all of these things because you have so you're such a wealth of knowledge. Oh my goodness. And speaking of wealth of knowledge, you've written four incredible books. Did I get the number right? I can't even keep track anymore. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's four and it's soon to be changing because the next one will be out, uh, in a couple of weeks. So I'm, I'm, oh, I'm really gosh. excited about this next book. Just, I, I, I got to finish the cover though, but I'm, um, I'm excited about the book. So can you give us a little <laughs> teaser? Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's one that I started, let's see, there were two that I started last year. One is it was about focus on that one kid lessons. We learned from that one kid where we've had more than just one kid, but along our teaching paths, what are the lessons we learned from a kid that we had in our classroom, whether it was something that really pushed us. It might have been a good experience, bad experience, something in between, but something that we can share with other teachers. So it's a true story, lessons learned from that one kid. And unlike my other books, this one has, it has some of my own experiences, but it's under, there's a theme across it that ties into Thrive, which has been kind of my thing for the last year and a half. And the stories fall under uh, themes of tenacity, honesty, relatability, integrity, vulnerability, and empathy. And so I had people submit different stories. And then as I read them, I tried to fit them under which of those themes it, it kind of represented best. So lots of amazing stories, some that will bring tears to your eyes to read. And, but it's just, it was great to put that book together. So I'm just really excited to share everybody else's stories about that one kid. And then the one that'll come after that I was working on is things I wish dot, 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 and it's a collection of stories of things I wish and depending on how people filled it in. So things I wish when I started teaching, things or things I wish I knew when I started teaching, things I wish students knew, things I wish my teachers knew, things I wish administrators knew. And it's, again, a collection of stories. That one will probably be mostly other stories because I think at the last count, uh, I had like 45 different stories, different educators sharing stories. So Wow. The power in story. But this this next one, I'm just excited about the different kids that are represented in the book. And, um, you know, I hope that when people read it, that they'll enjoy it, of course. But think about all of the kids that they've had along the way that made an impact on them, but also all of the kids that they may not necessarily know that they made a big impact on, too. Because sometimes we don't we don't ever know. We may find yeah. out later on. And, and it's just like, the slightest interaction we might've had. And again, this is coming from me who for years I was isolated. I didn't build those relationships and I'm thankful now I totally know differently, but I just, I'm looking forward to that being out there just for all of the stories. So other people can read all the stories that I've been so honored to read. Wow. I am so excited about both of those. And I mean, Oh my goodness, I have all of your books and they're all amazing. So can you just share, um, 
So we know two books that we definitely are going to have to purchase as soon as they are released. Can you share a little bit about the the four other books, um, just maybe the title and, and a little something about them um, that are, are available now? Yeah. So the first one was, in other words, quotes to push our thinking, which just an idea I came up with one night because I was getting ready to write another book and I looked at notes that I had written from other books I'd read and I had so many quotes. So I thought, what if I write a book about quotes? that make me think about life differently. Initially, it was about education, but then I started to think, oh, it's not just about education, it's about life. And so there are actually guest chapters in the book and two of my students co-wrote a chapter and one of my students designed the chapter, or the designed the chapter, designed the cover of it. So I love, I see the book, it makes me happy because I know what it represents, like getting to know students, building those relationships, and then the other stories. And then the second one is the future is now looking back to move ahead. And it's just about building our own strength as educators, making our connections and how we can kind of work together to help our students to become leaders and prepare for the future. Um, the third one is Unconventional Ways to Thrive in EDU. And it's uh, a book that's all just me sharing what I've done in my classroom, different ideas. And so with that, there's always a story at the beginning. It might be a movie reference or a TV show or something to kind of connect you with I don't know, a teacher that we've all seen. And uh, then it's just different ideas. So if anybody's looking for things that are a little bit different, because I totally started changing all of the, I was teaching the way I was taught. So that's the book I would recommend people check out. And then the more recent one is Chart a New Course, A Guide to Teaching Essential Skills for Tomorrow's World. And that's with ISTE that, again, it has some of, I mean, a lot of my stories, but then there's other educators shared vignettes, some students shared experiences in it. And what is kind of funny about my books, but wasn't intentional, is that you don't have to read them from cover to cover. So if you open up the, the chapters and you see, oh, I want to learn about augmented reality, start with that chapter. Or I want to learn about hyperdocs. Like you can find that and you don't, I mean, you can get started really quickly. So hopefully any one of those books will help somebody out there. But they're all incredible. So I highly recommend all of them. And I know uh, after listening to this podcast, our listeners are definitely going to want to connect with you if they haven't connected with you already. So where are all the ways, where are all the places that we can connect with Rochelle? <laughs> I'm kind of consistent, amazingly, when it comes to social media. So Twitter, Instagram, it's R-D-E-N-E-915. Easy to kind of remember because it's first initial, middle name, and my birth date. <laughs> so there's that. And then my blog is also the same, rdna915.com, and my podcast too. So be happy to connect. <laughs> yes. Well, she, uh, Rochelle is definitely somebody that will inspire you, challenge you, um, encourage you. So you definitely want to follow Rochelle and all of the amazing things that she's involved in. And Rochelle, it has been so, so fun to get to chat with you on the show today. I uh, We were able to, I think the last time, I know the last time that I saw Rochelle was in Nashville. No, yeah. was it? It yes. was in our in our Miami penthouse, <laughs> right? Yes. Yeah. Oh my gosh. In January. Yes. Thankfully, thankfully it was January. Otherwise, that's a really long time ago. I know the last time that we had seen yeah. Jen, Casa Todd was in Nashville last year. So we're long overdue. Yes, it is. It is way long overdue. So I can't wait till I get to see you again face to face, but it's always wonderful anytime that I get to chat with you. So thank you so much for being on this show today. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's great to see you and great to talk to you as well.
Yes. Well, congratulations on all the things coming and we'll definitely be looking out for, uh, I'll be definitely looking out for this two new books coming soon. Thank you. Super exciting. Have a magical day, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Make Learning Magical podcast. I hope you were inspired by this episode and encouraged to find new ways to bring magic into teaching and learning. You can connect with me on Twitter at Tish Rich, Instagram at Tish Richmond, or on my website at tisharichmond.com. Please use the hashtag MLMagical to share thoughts about this episode. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and tune in next week for another magical episode.